in, in my family, the Sharp family, there was never a preacher before God called me to preach. And by the way, God called me to preach at uh, Pastor Malcolm's house late one uh, Saturday night. And then I began to preach and, and things of that nature. And then by and by, April and I got married and Hunter was our, our first child. And then several years ago, God felt, uh, or, or uh, Hunter felt as though God was calling him into the ministry uh, to preach as well. And so Hunter's got to preach at TSM many times, and he's actually got to preach on the streets, under bridges a few times in his life. And, uh, but tonight will be the first time in Bible study. And so y'all um, pray for Hunter, and Hunter, you come on and give us what God has laid on your heart. And when he's done, I'll come uh, for the rest. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I'd like to welcome everybody, and uh, I'd also like to welcome our Fairview family that's watching. Um, this is a, uh, a, a dream come true for me in a lot of ways. Uh, my wife reminded me on the way over here um, that uh, when we were dating, she asked me randomly, um, what is one of the places that you would love to preach at the most? Uh, and I said, uh, Temple, Temple on a Wednesday night would be really cool. And uh, a couple years later, here I am. And so this, uh, depending on how it goes, might be the last time. So let's have fun tonight. <laughs> All right. Uh, but I'm very excited, and I'm very excited for what the Lord has laid on my heart. And I think it will be a blessing to all of us. Um, so we're going to read briefly uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. And then I'll pray. And then we're going to dive into the message. All right. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, nicknamed the Hall of Faith. Uh, it lists uh, several different uh, patriarchs in the Bible uh, that were noted for their upstanding faith. Uh, and in the face of adversity uh, and, and trying times. And uh, one of my favorites uh, that is mentioned in the Great Hall of Faith is Abraham. Abraham. And so we're going to take a quick look at what the writer of Hebrews has to say about Abraham, and then we're going to pray. So let's begin reading in verse number 8. Verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs, with him for the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Jump on down to verse 17. The Bible says, By faith Abraham... When he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Does that sound a little familiar? Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Tonight I want to talk to you on the subject of having great faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much and I thank you so much, Lord, for your grace, Lord, for your mercy. Lord, I thank you so much that you've allowed someone like me, Lord, to be used by you. Lord, there is no one more undeserving to be behind this pulpit than me. But Lord, I thank you that uh, you poured out your grace and your love so that you could use me and that you could use all of us in a very powerful way for the benefit and glory of your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would move in this service tonight. Help me to express and communicate everything that you have laid on my heart in a powerful way. We'll thank you for it. In your name I pray. Amen. 
Amen. So, Abraham, uh, we've all heard the stories about him. Uh, we've all uh, studied him. We've heard countless sermons preached on him. Uh, but tonight you're going to hear one more, all right? Um, one thing that always stands out is his faith. And I think having a strong faith is going to be one of the most constant battles we will fight in our Christian life. There's always room for improvement. You can never get to a level of faith and trust in God in your Christian life and then go, all right, I'm good. Because guess what? Life always gets harder, right? There's always new challenges. There's always something new down the road that you're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to step up. And we see countless times through the life of Abraham, he stepped up. We see his closeness to God. We see his faith. And so we're going to take a look at the life of Abraham. We're going to look at three different key, key areas where we can see Abraham demonstrating his faith. I want to tell you tonight that every Christian can have great faith by following the three steps that we see in these verses. The first place that we're going to look is in Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis 12 is a really important chapter in the life of Abraham because this is when we first see God reveal to Abraham his calling for his life. We see that it's about four uh, centuries after the flood now and humanity has pretty much gone back to how it was pre-flood. There's more idolatry, uh, there's more adultery, uh, and there's filled with wickedness. And so God has chosen Abraham uh, and set him apart to be the father of the Israel, Israel's nation to preserve the gospel and to preserve the bloodline of none other than Jesus. And so this is obviously uh, Abraham has no idea of any of this. He's just uh, a successful man uh, living in the land of Ur. And so we see starting in verse number one, God speaking to Abraham. And now he, uh, in, at this time he is still referred to as Abram. So let's read in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse number one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Right? So, so right there we see God's purpose for Abraham. And then the very next verse says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So here we see the first step that Abraham took, and that was separate. He separated himself. We see God explicitly list uh, three different things that he was calling Abraham out of. In order to bring him into the land of Canaan. He said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. So in order for us to have great faith, we're going to have to be separated from some things sometimes. We, we can't be mingled in uh, with, with the world. We're going to have to be separated. We're going to have to stand out a little bit. We should stand out, Right. Because we are blood-bought and born-again believers. And so we shouldn't look like everybody or everything else. Right? So we see that he separated from his culture. He separated from his culture. He said, get thee out from thy country. Abraham is leaving everything that he has ever known. 
He's, he is leaving his quote-unquote norm, right? And he's going into something that is completely different. Completely different. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and verse number 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is, this is a either-or situation. Very cut and dry. I think one of our biggest struggles as Christians is accepting that verse. Accepting that verse. God's love cannot be perfectly seen in us if we are simultaneously trying to love the world. Now don't get my words or the scripture twisted. I'm not saying we're not to love others. I'm not saying we're not supposed to love sinners. Jesus loves sinners and I love sinners and we are called to do that. If we don't do that, how is anybody else going to accept the gift of salvation? Right? But there is a difference between loving the sinner and loving the sin. And I think this, the church in America today would do well to really understand that. A lot of people are worried about being offensive and hurting people's feelings. And it's, it's good to be courteous. It's good to show respect. We need to show love like Jesus did. But we also need to speak truth like Jesus did. I was actually thinking this past week about that very thing before uh, I was asked to preach. I got a 36 hours head notice, by the way, to do this. Just want to put that out there. But I was, I was thinking about this week after my devotions, how well balanced Jesus was in his ministry. Perfectly balanced. Perfectly balanced with his outreach and with his compassion but at the same time expressing his righteousness and his intolerance for unrighteousness. Amen? And so we see that Abraham is now separated himself from his culture. Not only his culture, but his connections. His connections. It says, from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now, I'm not telling you that in order for you to become a better Christian, you've got to disown your family. All right? Uh, you might want to, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's going to be some connections that we'll have during our lives that will restrict your growth and will hinder your faith and your trust in God. And if you don't believe me, just wait. Because it's coming. Bible says in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. This is, we get to see a little study behind uh, Abraham's family very briefly here. In Joshua 24 and verse 2, Bible says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. This was Abraham's family. Abraham's father and brother worshipped false gods. And so no wonder the Lord told him, leave your father's house. Leave that behind. I'm calling you into something bigger. Something that's good. Something that is righteous. I've got a promise waiting for you. And part of Abraham's faith, his first initial step was separation. Our Christian growth and our fellowship with the Lord is crippled the moment we decide not to give something up. Not to give something up. 
Bible says in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What that verse tells us is we need to be sure that God is number one over our spouse, over our kids, over money, work. Parents need to teach their kids to love Jesus more than them. And parents need to love Jesus more than their kids. When you do that, now you're in line with what God wants. And when you're where God wants you to be, that's when God is really able to pour out His blessings on you. Amen. We see the second step in... Abraham's faith in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 21. And we're going to go all the way to the very first verse of chapter 15. To give us some context here, what has happened is Lot and his family are, they are living in the kingdom of Sodom at this point, And a different kingdom and king and his armies, they come and, and raid and pillage Sodom and Lot and his family are kidnapped and they're taken hostage. And Abraham being the bad to the bone dude that he is, gets him and some of his servants and they go and whoop some butt and round them all up and bring them home, basically to sum it up. And so we see Starting in verse number 21 of chapter 14, a conversation between the king of Sodom, uh, who is thankful, obviously, for Abraham's bravery, uh, and uh, Abraham. So let's read in verse number 21 of Genesis chapter 14. The Bible says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said unto the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hands unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Anner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Verse number 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. When I first read that, I got chills. So we see right here, Abram's demonstration of the second step, which is to rely, to totally depend upon God. Which is really easier said than done. Because how many times in life do we get so focused on all of these problems, on all of the, the bills, on all of the stress, on all of the changes. And we want to handle everything ourselves because we think that that's what's going to make us feel better if we just get it done ourselves. And if you're asking who I'm talking to, I'm talking to this guy. <laughs> um, but what we don't realize is when we do that, we're belittling God. God's saying, I'm really going to get the glory and you're really going to get the blessing if you'll come to me first. And I love what Abraham said here. He told the king of Sodom, I don't want to take anything from you because I don't want you to be able to say that you've made me rich. So what he's saying is, if somebody's going to make me rich, 
I want it to be God. And uh, I didn't realize that what Abraham meant there until today, but that's powerful. Deciding that if I'm going to get blessed in this life, I want it to come from the one who possesses heaven and earth. I don't want it to come from me scheming and, and, and trying to chase down a dollar. I want it to come from my heavenly father. Because he can provide. So Abraham relied on God for protection. For protection. Uh, Psalms 3, verse 3. One of my favorite verses. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the lifter of mine head. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in a time of trouble. Amen. I'm, I'm thankful that every time the Bible mentions God being a shield, it also talks about him being encouraging. He's not just some protector. He's also an encourager. He's also a great comforter. Almost as if a part of God is specifically designed to comfort us. Who would have thunk that? So he relied on God for protection, not only that, but for provision. But for provision. Look in in verse number one again of chapter 15. So I love how, you know, Abraham has just stood up to the king of Sodom. He said, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't need anything from you. And just, just looks so cool. I mean, it's so cool what Abraham just did. But then the very next verse says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And God goes on to reassure Abram of his calling and of God's promise on his life. But I just love how right after Abraham stated God's the possessor of heaven and earth, I don't need anything from you. Lord comes to him and says, hey, I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. God's provision and his reward is far more valuable than anything we can attain ourselves. Number one, it's because that's truly what we really need. God knows how to give us what we need and what's better for us. We know how to get what we want, right? That's how our brains work. We go after the wants. We go after Him. It's the flesh. We can't help it. But God said, I've got what you need. And I want to give it to you. But you've got to trust in me. But you've got to trust in me. I, uh, I've got a funny story about uh, relying on the Lord. And uh, so in 2014, no, Yes, 2014, we took our first trip to the Philippines. Um, and I was 13 years old. And uh, we had landed in the Philippines at, uh, in Manila. And then we took another plane to the island of Cebu. And we landed in Cebu City. And we have to take a ferry boat from Cebu City to Bantayan Island, which is where we were going to be doing the medical mission work uh, and the vacation Bible schools and uh, uh, disaster relief. This was after a uh, very big typhoon, Yolanda, struck uh, the Philippines very, uh, very bad in, uh, I believe it was November of 2013. Um, and so I didn't, you know, they said, hey, we got to take a ferry 
over to this island. And, you know, every ferry that I've ever been on, it, you know, you put like three cars on there maybe and you just stand on the side and you're, you're floating for maybe 10, 15 minutes. So I'm like, ferry, no big deal. I get there. This thing is like a freighter ship, okay? They're massive. Uh, really, it's a, like a barge. And you can fit probably uh, 20 vehicles on there, maybe 15, depending on the size of them. Uh, and so uh, our whole mission team gets on there. And uh, I get very motion sick. And uh, in the, our winter months, it is also winter in the Philippines. But instead of snow or 30 degrees temperature, they just have like six and seven foot waves all winter long out in the ocean. Yeah, and I, I hear I was saying, ooh, yeah. Uh, and so I get very seasick, and so I took two Dramamine and a Benadryl. <laughs> so I was going to not get seasick, and I was going to be drugged up and out like a light, right? That was my plan. Good plan. So I'm on the boat, and I find me a bench, and I'm asleep for like an hour and a half. It's about a three-hour boat ride. And I get woken up, and it's one of the staff members of the boat asking me for my ticket so he can punch my stuff. And I wake up and I'm patting around and I didn't even have it. My mom had it because I was still 13 and I just, I still try to just have my mom do everything. Anyways, uh, so mom had it and she gives him the ticket, punches a stub and and I'm kind of wiping the sleep from my eyes. And all of a sudden I realize that I'm doing this because the boat's doing this. And as soon as I realize what's going on, immediately. I ran, and well, I say ran, it was more of a, you know, that, to the edge of the boat. And um, I'll try and not be graphic. I started chumming the water, you know, uh, and uh, just super sick, and it was bad. And I had a headache, and I was lightheaded, and I'd never felt this sick before. And I'm literally can barely stand up, hunched over the edge of the boat, and all of a sudden, I feel two hands on my back. One's got me right around my belt like this, and then another one's bracing me over my shoulder. And I look back, and it's one of the Filipinos that I had met uh, when we landed on our mission team. And he said, it's okay, brother. I got you. And I said, okay. (laughs) And for the rest of the boat ride, I was just doing this like I was Rose in the Titanic, and he was holding me up. And I relied on that man to keep me from falling overboard. The rest of the boat ride. And he, he made sure that I was hydrated and he gave me some crackers. I mean, he took real good care of me. I was thinking the whole time, where's my mom? You know, she should be doing this. She was sick too. Uh, <laughs> so, but I relied on him, right? And that's how we need to have that same dependency on the Lord. Amen. Real briefly, real briefly, I'm running out of time. I want to look at the third step. The, the third step, uh, Genesis chapter number 22, and this is probably the most uh, memorable part of Abraham's life, uh, the story of him offering up his son Isaac, of him offering up his son Isaac. Um, we've never seen this kind of love demonstrated again other than by God the Father, which I think is so special. And that really tells us the kind of relationship and the kind of faith that Abraham had. Right? He's super close to God. So close. So let's, let's read in uh, Genesis 22, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Many times I've felt like God was trying to find me. And I told him, no, I'm busy. I got some stuff going on. I'm pretty comfortable right now. Not Abraham. He said, behold, here I am. You can just tell he was ready for the next challenge. He was ready for the next promise. He was ready just for the next conversation, whatever it would bring. With his friend, the Lord. We ought to strive to have that. Amen. So he said, Behold, here I am. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So let's notice in the beginning of verse 2, he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. He pauses three times to express and make sure Abraham understands, I'm asking this of you. That thing that you hold dearest, yeah, that. That that thing that I promised you, I need it back. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I I need that back. I know I said I'd give it to you, and I did. But I need it back. And if it's, if this was me, I'd be saying, "Whoa, uh uh-uh. uh, I just got him." <laughs> He's 10. (laughs) Still got to teach him how to drive, you know. But the next verse says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Plain and simple. God asked, and he sacrificed. That's the third step. Sacrifice. In our relationship with the Lord, sometimes he's going to ask us to make sacrifices. When we sacrifice, we need to do it. We need to do it intimately. It's got to mean something. It's got to hurt. Otherwise, that's not a sacrifice. Sacrifice means giving up something that you love in order to get something a lot better. We need to sacrifice intimately. We also need to do it immediately. You say, what makes you say that? Because that's what Abraham did. And God and Abraham were tight. We need to do it immediately. As my parents drilled into my brain growing up, partial obedience is disobedience. I'm never going to forget that. But it's true, right? It's true. Abraham did it right then. He didn't even know which mountain in Moriah he was going to, but he knew the direction. He said, I'm going there. And he was going to give up his son. Bible says in Mark 12, 41 through 44, we see a great example of this, of sacrifice. Of an intimate sacrifice. Mark 12, 41 through 44. The Bible says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much, and there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they that have cast into the treasury. For they all for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. It's about your heart. Your sacrifice, your giving shows your heart. Why is that? Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And if our treasure lies with God, that means our heart lies with Him. If we're willing to sacrifice for God, that means we're serious. That means we really do have faith in Him. I want to close close with this story and I'm done. That same trip uh, to the Philippines in 2014, I almost wasn't able to go. Um. It was a very last minute thing. Those kind of international trips take months and months to plan and do it right. Well, that typhoon hit and a a fellow organization uh, 
wanted to partner with Unsheltered and go do disaster relief and medical missions. And so mom and dad said, yes, we'll do it. And so mom and dad scraped and hurried and raised money, and it was very difficult, but they were able to afford both of them to be able to go. And this trip was super last minute and super expensive. It was almost, it was close to $3,000, was it not? Yeah. And I really, really wanted to go. I mean, I, I had to go, I felt like. I don't know why, but I just had to go. And mom and dad told me, they said, look, we, we can't. We don't, we don't have it. It's like a month away. We, even if we could raise the money in that time, we'd need to buy your ticket like today or tomorrow. And I said, okay. And I was sad, but, you know, I understood. It was whatever. Um, I was homeschooled. I know a lot of you are probably like, yeah, duh, we can tell. Um, <laughs> so I was homeschooled, and I was sitting at my desk one day doing schoolwork, and I get a phone call, and it's from my grandpa, uh, my mom's dad, who lived in North Augusta, and uh, grandpa was my best friend, really was, and so he called me, and I said, hey, grandpa, and I looked at mom, because, you know, mom was teacher from 7 a.m. to 3, and so I said, can I, can I talk to grandpa, and she said, yeah, go ahead, and she looked like she knew something, and so I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, hey. And he said, what are you doing, boy? I said, I'm just doing some schoolwork. He said, so I heard your mom and daddy going to the Philippines. I said, yes, sir. I said, I wish I could go, though. He said, I know it. How about if Grandpa made that happen? Talk about my face lit up. And I started crying. And, uh, and I said, Grandpa, how are you going to do that? He said, for my boy, I'll make it happen. And hung up the phone. Not before telling me that he'd rob a bank if he had to. And uh, my, my grandpa was not a wealthy man. Uh Matter of fact, he was in debt most of his life. Uh, if we're being honest, he probably went in more debt to pay for my ticket over there. But he sacrificed for me because he knew that the reward would far outweigh that price of the plane ticket. And I'm thankful that he was alive long enough to see how much that one trip truly shaped my life. And because of him, I got to see firsthand missions over there. And the Philippines became a big part of my life from that point on and still is today. And it encouraged me to continue in ministry. And it really solidified my call. In order to have great faith, it's going to require great sacrifice. But I promise you that whatever God asks you to give up is far less valuable than whatever God's going to give you in return. Amen. All right. I'm going to pray and then my dad is going to come up and save us. Amen. He's going to finish us off. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you so much and I thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given me. I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for uh, your word and how it encourages Lord, I ask that you would move in the rest of this service. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, amen. Bless the Lord. You know, um, really nothing has to be added to that. I mean, that, Hunter, that's a great, great, great message. A great message. Um, you know, I can remember when uh, April and I were first married, and like most married couples do, we began to talk about the possibility of having children and this and that. And, and I can remember being at, at one point... In that time in our marriage, 
being gripped with fear, the fear of bringing a child into this world because of how wicked the world was. Maybe some of you have kind of experienced that feeling like, matter of fact, I was just having a conversation with Sarah, uh, our daughter, a couple weeks ago about what the world will be like when our grandchildren, if the Lord gives us grandchildren, when, when they're my age now or her age now. And I remember uh, feeling that way, and April and I would, would talk about that, and, and it was probably April, I can't remember who it was, but, but somebody finally said to me, Travis, if, if God wants you to have children, you just need to trust God that he'll have a plan for their lives. And they convinced me to trust in God, that, that God knows what he's doing. And the same way that God saved me, God can save my children. And that God will do that so that they too can one day be a light in a dark, dark world. And I'm so thankful that we trusted in the Lord to the best of our ability and that God has saved uh, not one, but both of our children and has thrust them out into the work of the Lord. And Hunter's absolutely right, isn't he? If we're going to live in this world, we need to live by faith. We have to separate ourselves from the things that weigh us down. And by the way, there's no shortage of people and places and things that want to rob us of our faith in God. You turn on the radio, you turn on the news uh, uh, station, you open social media today, and it's like everything screams at us, uh, join me, join this. And, and most of those things are anti-God. And we must separate ourselves enough to where we can hear God's voice and follow God's call. Yesterday, I was able to talk to a good friend of mine on the phone. And he told me, he said, Travis, I, I, I don't know exactly what all's going on. And this, this uh, guy's my age, maybe a little bit younger. He said, but, but lately I've been feeling in my heart... That God is calling me and it scared me to death. And I was able to talk and have a good conversation with one of my buddies on the phone and, and encourage him that, hey, if God is calling you into the ministry, the best thing you can do is trust God and step out by faith and obey the call of God. And I'm sure he's a little worried because God might ask him to separate from his employment, separate from his comfort, separate from those things in his life, as Hunter said, that are the norm in his life and go to a place that's absolutely foreign to him. I can remember when God asked that of me. I was 18 years old when God saved me. And then just a few months older than that, when God called me to be a preacher. And I had no idea about it all. And honest to goodness, I wish that I could stand here in front of you tonight and tell you that I had great faith in God. And therefore, I went forward and, and followed God's will. But really, my faith wasn't all that great. I had Pastor Malcolm Carter and uh, Malcolm Carter II, your pastor. I had them, thankfully, and I, I thank God all the time for those two men. And they encouraged me, they challenged me, and they guided me. And honestly, I think I had more faith in them at that point in my life than I did God because it was all so new to me. When I left to go to Bible college, 
I mean, yes, I trusted in God. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I knew God just a little while. I, I knew Brother Malcolm and, and Malcolm much longer than I had known God, to be honest with you. And I can remember saying to God, well, God, they told me to go <laughs> to Bible college. I can remember my boss asked me, he said, you're really going to throw away a potential great career where you can make over $100,000 a year to go to Bible college and become a preacher? And I said, well, Pastor Carter told me to. And I can remember my boss, Mr. Klenotis. He just looked at me with so much disdain in his, in his eyes. And he said, well, if that's what you think you ought to do. And I said, Pastor Carter thinks it's what I ought to do. And you know, I look back on that now. And sometimes I think, whew. I'm glad God put me there in that church with those two men. Pastor Brown, where I went to, uh, where I went to Bible college, he said that if the man that told him about Jesus had been a Jehovah's witness, he'd be, uh, peddling magazines right to this day. He said, cause he just trusted what the man told him. And that's how I feel. But you know what? Uh, God didn't mislead me. And God will not mislead you either. I guarantee you that while Hunter was preaching, you were thinking about something in your life or somebody in your life, probably something that God has been speaking to you about. Maybe nobody else knows it. Maybe you've not even told your mom or your dad yet. Maybe you've not shared this with your spouse yet. But God has been speaking to you and you've been reluctant to obey the voice of God maybe because of what it might cost. Maybe just out of fear. Maybe, as Hunter said, out of partial Obedience, which really is disobedience. I want to encourage you tonight to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not toward thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms. That we cannot please God and man. God requires faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so many times it's those things not seen that scare us to death. I know I was scared before I surrendered to preach. I was shaking in my boots the day that, that God saved me. It's those pivotal uh, moments in our life that are the scariest. But like Hunter said, they will bless us the most. So my encouragement to us tonight is if God has been knocking on your heart's door, you need to open the door and let him in. It could be that you know that you're lost. You say, oh, preacher, this is the Wednesday night crowd. This is the most faithful crowd. I know. 
But you can come in here Wednesday after Wednesday and Sunday after Sunday. And that does not make you a Christian. No more than going and sitting in your garage makes you a car. Being present, that's not enough. So maybe God's been speaking to you about that. Maybe you felt like, shoo, I made it through Easter, made it through all three weeks of the drama. Oh man, maybe God will leave me alone. But God is still speaking to your heart saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe God's been speaking to you about preaching. Hunter's 21 years old and preaching the gospel. And by the way, doesn't it sound a whole lot different coming from a 21 year old than a 40 something year old? It does. I noticed as he was preaching, some of the younger crowd tuned in. So maybe God's speaking to you about that. I don't know what God might be speaking to your heart about, but I do know this. It takes faith to obey God. And without faith, the scripture says... Hebrews 11, I think verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please him. So we start the Christian uh, life out by trusting in, in God to save us. And God has made it in such a way that we have to live the Christian life and Finish the Christian life the same exact way by trusting in God. And Hunter's right. You would think it would just get easier, but actually the challenges come more and more. And that may discourage you, but think about it like this. The reason those challenges are getting bigger is because your faith is growing. And as God grows uh, your faith, God will give you and I different tests. And when we pass the test, our faith grows and the rewards grow and the blessings go, uh, grow and on and on it goes. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be saved and doing my best. I'm a failure. I, I, I have to come to God often, daily and ask him to forgive me. I have to come to God a lot and say, now, Lord, I missed it right there. I'm sorry. I have to confess those things where I get it wrong, but I wouldn't take anything for the life of faith that God has called me to live. And if you're saved, I guarantee you, you feel that way too.